Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. We are in the 11th week. We're closing down on the end of our 16-week series. Our series on the river of life, tracing through the Bible from beginning to end. Let's start with our key verse, found in your bulletin. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 17. From then on means from the time of his baptism. As we said last week, the Holy Spirit came on Jesus at the time of his baptism. Before that, he didn't really do anything of great note although we are told of the interesting incident of his visit to the temple when he was 11 years old. But other than that, until he was 30, he just lived at home and took over his father's carpentry business and then apparently at some point moved to Capernaum and started his business there instead of Nazareth. But it wasn't until his time of baptism when the Holy Spirit came on him that his ministry started, and it is at that point that he began to preach. And the Bible tells us that the summary of his message was repent of your sins and turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is near. The one theme that tied together everything Jesus did and taught was the kingdom. The four Gospels tell us how he did that and what he said. Last week we looked at why there are four Gospels and the different perspectives that they give us. But they all agree that Jesus aimed his ministry to the Jews first. As a matter of fact, at times he told his disciples only to preach to the Jews, not to go to the Samaritans, not to go to the Gentiles, just start with the Jews. Why would that be? Was Jesus racist? I don't think so. Was he excluding everybody else? Was the kingdom of heaven only for the Jews to the exclusion of everybody else? No, if you have been Following through the Old Testament, we see that throughout it, there are provisions made for non-Jewish people to come into the kingdom. As a matter of fact, the reason that that God chose the Jews in the first place and worked with the family of Abraham was because working with a whole human race hadn't worked. They didn't get it. He had to start over again twice, and he said, maybe if I just start with this one family and let them demonstrate the blessings of being the kingdom of God. Then the rest of the world will come into it. But the Bible is very clear 
that God wanted everybody, anybody who will follow him to come into the kingdom. Anybody can be a disciple. But God did work with the Jews first. Jesus was of the Jewish nation. And so God gave them one last chance to accept and recognize their Messiah. And so that's why Jesus focused on the Jewish people first. But when others came to him, when Greeks came to him and wanted to talk to him, when the Syrophoenician woman came and asked uh, healing for her daughter, and of course, even shortly after his birth, when the Magi came from the east, the three kings who were not Jews, but coming from apparently Babylon and places like that, they were all accepted. Jesus spoke first to the Jews, but he spoke to anybody who would listen. There were Roman uh, soldiers who turned to him. Other people in, uh, in Israel who were not Jewish, who also listened. And the way that he taught was by words, but also by demonstration. One of my favorite, perhaps my favorite, Bible verses where the Apostle Paul says, when I spoke to you, I didn't just speak in persuasive words of wisdom, but by demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how Jesus taught it. Paul learned it from Jesus' example. He told parables. Our first and second readings were examples of those. Stories that Jesus told to illustrate the points he made. And he worked miracles. To demonstrate. You may remember the paralyzed man that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And all the... the Religious leaders stood around and said, oh my goodness, who does he think he is saying that he can forgive sins? And so then he demonstrated that he was who he claimed to be by saying to the man, stand up and walk. The miracles, the healings, were demonstrations, not only of God's love, but of who Jesus was. But people responded differently. I broke up the one Bible reading into two sections this morning for a reason. I stopped the first one when Jesus stopped his teaching and went in the house. And most of the people went away saying to themselves, well, he told some interesting stories. I wonder what they meant. Hey, what's for supper? And that was probably the last they thought about. But the ones who followed him in, and notice it said the disciples, it didn't say the apostles. The apostles were 12 specifically picked. Disciples were anybody that followed Jesus. Anybody could be a disciple. So the disciples, the ones who cared enough to follow him into the house and ask him, what did that mean? He explained it to them. There's several different places in the Gospels where the crowds just go on, but when somebody comes and asks him, what did you mean by that? Then he explains it. He's not insulted. 
He doesn't say, you dummy, couldn't you figure that out? He was happy that they cared enough to ask. God is always happy when you care enough to ask Him. And then He explained People responded to the miracles similarly. Some of them, many of them, followed Him as long as He was doing miracles because they wanted to see another one. Especially after the feeding of the 5,000. They followed Him because they wanted some more of that good bread. But when it came to the the hard part, when, when push came to shove, when the rubber hits the road, a lot of them left because they were seeking, as they say, the gifts and not the giver. They were seeking God for what he could do for them and not for who he was. And we have a lot of people who respond to Jesus' teaching and God's gifts in the same way today. So Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. Two different terms. Most scholars think they're the same thing. Two ways of referring to the same thing. When I was out of college, I worked as an engineer at Ford Motor Company in Dearborn. And most of the people would say, I work at Ford. Referring to the place. The, the, the factory, the research and engineering, which is where I worked. You know, the place where where the company was. But the old timers said, I work at Ford's, F-O-R-D apostrophe S. I work at Henry Ford's place. The kingdom of heaven refers to where, the kingdom of God refers to who. Ford Motor Company refers to where, Ford's refers to who. It's like saying the difference between the empire of Rome or the empire of Caesar. It's a, what they call a distinction without a difference. So kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing. So what's a kingdom? Well, it's a realm where a king is ruler. And it can be a place, it can be geographical, the place where the king's laws have jurisdiction. It can be the homeland ruled by a king or queen like the island of Britain. It can be land in other places that are colonies of the king. Before the American Revolution, the eastern, what are now the eastern states, were colonies, part of the British Empire. Or it can be embassies of the kingdom in another country. If you go to Washington, D.C., and you go in the British embassy, as soon as you step on the grounds of the embassy, you're considered to be on British territory and subject to British laws. So, a kingdom can be geographical in those three senses. Or it can also refer to the citizens who give their allegiance to the king no matter where they live. For instance, not a kingdom, but but similarly, our son Josh lives in Turkey, but he is an American. He's still an American, even though he's lived in Turkey for 10 years. And when Turkey plays America in the Olympics, Josh roots for America. So, in the same way, The kingdom of God is the realm where God is ruling. It can be the place where God's will is done, like obviously heaven, and ideally the colonies and embassies of heaven that we call churches. 
and the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, same thing, is also the people who give their allegiance to the ruler of heaven, who is God. In other words, as Christians, our spiritual home is heaven, but right now our physical home is earth. See, originally, excuse me, originally God created earth to be the land of the river of life. But way back in history, and, and before history actually, our ancestors betrayed our land to the enemy. And now the Bible says the devil is the God of this world. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 4.4 says the devil is the God of this world. But you know what? God has always had people who refuse to bow to the God of this world. We heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, many others through the Old Testament as we went through those. Daniel, um, Noah, Elijah. We've heard the stories of some of them as we went through the Old Testament. Isolated individuals who refused to bow to the God of this world. Ideally, that was what the nation of Israel was supposed to be all about. But except for a, a brief time under King David and a, a few other kings for a short time, it basically, they didn't get it. They found the lure of the what uh, Eugene Peterson calls the sex and religion religions of the, the pagans to be too strong, and they turned away from, from God. With Jesus, God launched a full-scale resistance movement. You've heard of the French underground in World War II, right? For much of the war, France was controlled by a puppet government, the Vichy government, whose strings were pulled by the Nazis, and a lot of people just went along with them. But every town, pretty much every town, had a band of loyal citizens who worked in secret to undermine the Nazis and restore France to freedom. When Jesus went to heaven, he left behind a countercultural resistance movement to undermine the work of the devil, who is the god of this world temporarily ruling this world like the Vichy government temporarily ruled France. To undermine the work of the devil and restore this world to the river of life. You know what we call that movement? The church. Christians are citizens of the kingdom of God living in occupied territory. As such, we have three responsibilities. God is counting on us to demonstrate the blessings of living as citizens of God's kingdom. God is counting on us to invite everyone we meet to become citizens of heaven with us. And God is counting on us to work to reclaim this world, this land of the river of life, 
According to Jesus' vision statement that he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, it's almost strange that you can see these things happening more clearly in a place like China or Iran where Christianity is outlined and Christians are actually an underground resistance movement. And you can see these things happening and it's clearer there than it is in a place like America and a so-called Christian or post-Christian culture where we kind of tend to get a little bit confused as to, as to where the line is drawn. Well, gee, if it's American, it must be Christian, right? Not necessarily. So, demonstrate the blessings of living as citizens of God's kingdom. Invite everyone we meet to become citizens of heaven with us and work to reclaim the land of the river of life for its rightful Lord, Jesus Christ. How do we do these things? Jesus' teaching during his time on earth was devoted to this. In seven areas, he taught seven things. He taught the rewards and costs of being a citizen of the kingdom. Jesus never said, oh, come on, join, join the kingdom, follow me, and everything will be great, and everything will be easier, and everything will be better. Jesus said, count the cost. He said, if you follow me, you're going to have trouble. He told his apostles, people are going to hate you. But he taught them that the rewards are, as they say, literally out of this world. And also in this world. He taught them how to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Every kingdom has ways to become a naturalized citizen. America has laws by which immigrants become naturalized to become citizens of the United States. The kingdom of God has a means by which we become citizens of the kingdom. It's the same way that we accept God's offer of adoption into the family, two different illustrations of the same truth. And our key verse tells us how to do that. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent means turn around. The Greek word is metanoia. It means change your mind. Alter your thinking. You've been going this way, away from God. Turn around and come back toward God. Recognize you can't do it yourself. Recognize it's only God. Recognize that you have been moving away from God. Question for you. If you're standing on the North Pole, Okay, I'm standing on the North Pole. I walk this way. What way am I going? South, okay. I'm standing on the North Pole and I walk this direction. What way am I going? 
South. I stand on the North Pole and I walk this way. What way am I going? South. If you're standing on the North Pole, any direction you go, you're going south. If you're standing in God, any direction you go, you're going into sin. You're standing in God, any direction you go away from God. Even if it's an opposite direction from somebody else, you're both going away from God, you're both going into sin. The only way to turn around from that, we've all done it. The only way to turn around from that is to turn back to God. Repent of your sins, turn around, and go back to God. And accept his offer of what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. And become a citizen of the kingdom. That was one of the things Jesus taught about. First, he said, count the cost. Here's the pros and cons. Here's the rewards, but here's the costs. If you think you want to do it, here's how you do it. And then he said, once you have done that, it's not a one and done kind of a thing. Once you have done that, you have to live that way as best you can. And I'll help you. I'll send the Holy Spirit. I'll help you. But how do you live as a citizen of the kingdom of God? And that was a lot of Jesus' teachings. His parables and so on. The Sermon on the Mount, the Golden Rule. You're familiar with those. If you're not, it's all right here. It's good stuff. It's the rules. The operator's manual. And then somebody says, yeah, but that's hard stuff. Turn the other cheek. Forgive my brother 70 times 7. You don't know my brother. How can I do that? Jesus taught about what I call the secret power of the kingdom that allows you to do that. That gives you the power to live in a way you never could before. Gives you the power to demonstrate the kingdom of God in the same way that Jesus did. The same way the Apostle Paul said that he did. John 7, 37, on the last day of the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Not just the Jews, not just the good folks, anyone. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Of course, he didn't really have to say it that way because if you didn't believe in him, you wouldn't come. But he's just reiterating, it's open to anyone. But you have to come to Jesus. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, that's the end of Jesus speaking, and then John, by the inspiration of the Spirit, gives this explanation in verse 39. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing it. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. While Jesus was on earth, he had a monopoly of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit until he died, but Jesus had the Holy Spirit fully and completely. I shouldn't say a monopoly. But once Jesus went into heaven, 
He said, it's better for you all that I die and go to heaven because then I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit is the secret power that enables us to live the way that we should live. Jesus told the apostles one of the last things after his death and resurrection and just before he went up into heaven, he told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now they already had the Holy Spirit in them. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit within us. There's a difference with the Holy Spirit coming upon you, Jesus said. And so that was another thing he talked about. And it's one of my favorite topics. I could just go off on that for a long time, but I'm I'm going to stop myself here. Because he also talked about the fact that once you start living this way, the people of the world who are controlled by the God of this world, who is the devil, are not going to like it. And they are going to attack you. And you are going to have problems. And he talked about how to deal with that. And he talked about how the kingdom will spread and grow. You heard Terry read about how it's like yeast, how it's like a, the seed of a, a mustard bush. Starts off small and grows. And he talked about how the kingdom will finally triumph at the end of the world, at the end of the age. Those who are citizens of the kingdom will finally come into the full rights and authorities of their citizenship when the occupier is kicked out and the river of life is restored. So these are the things Jesus talked about. These are the things Jesus did. We'll be focusing in the next couple of weeks as we come up on Palm Sunday and Easter on the end of his life. His passion, his death, his resurrection. But in light of these things that I've been talking about, in light of the fact that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, colonizing an occupied territory, in light of these things that he taught, the rewards and costs of being a citizen, how to become a citizen, how to live as a citizen of the kingdom, How to exercise the secret power of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit. How to deal with attacks, how it'll grow, how it'll finally triumph. In light of all that, I want to ask you four questions. And I want you to consider them and ask God to show you the answers during our Holy Communion time. First, crowds followed Jesus because of the miracles that he did. But when push came to shove, they abandoned him. They didn't really care about Jesus, just what he could do for them. So my first question is, how about you? Do you follow God because you really love him? Because of who God is? Or if you really admit it to yourself, is it more about what he can do for you? Second question, as we heard in our first reading today, Jesus told a lot of stories and many people said, good story. I wonder what he meant by that. And they went on their way. But in our second reading, we heard that if somebody cared enough to ask, to follow up on it and search out the meaning, 
Nowadays, that might mean getting a study Bible or going online, asking. Then he told them what it meant. And so the second question is, how about you? When you read something in the Bible and, or hear something in church that isn't immediately clear to you, do you say, that was interesting, I wonder what that meant. What's for lunch? Or do you press on to find out what it means for your life? The third question, Jesus said, when someone believes in him, the Holy Spirit will overflow out of their heart like the river of living water. So my question for you is, does the river of living water, does the river of life spring out of you? And the last question, our key verse says the kingdom of heaven is near. Have you repented of your sins and turned to God? I hope and trust most everybody here has, but if you're not sure, I'd love to talk with you about it, pray with you about it. Ask God to show you the answer to those questions. Are you seeking God for who he is or what he can do for you? Do you listen to the stories, the Bible, and say, gee, I wonder what that meant? Or do you really follow up on it? Does the river of life, the Holy Spirit, spring out of you? And have you turned to follow God? Ask him about those things during the communion time. And I'd love to talk with anybody about any of them. Let's say our key verse together. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 17. pray it blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz, and for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.